Welcome to Revere Assets, Your Money, with Danny Stewart. You never know how far the stock is going to go down. Tim Razor. Danny knows I'm a geek for all of this stuff. And Don Vandenborg. Telling it like it is. If you're seeking the best stock knowledge this side of Wall Street, you've come to the right place. I'm sorry, did I steal your stuff? No, you didn't steal any thunder. Who's handling this segment? (laughs) For the next hour, Danny, Tim, and Don will be talking investing. Investing is 90% psychological, and I love that. Trades. The market will usually overshoot to the downside and to the upside. And dumpster fires. Because it doesn't matter what you think or what I think, and it matters even less what Danny thinks. And now, here's your hosts... Danny, Tim, and Don. Short term one month T bills dropped sharply over 1% in less than a week. What does that mean? And who and are the big boys holding cash, the institutional money, the hedge funds, the pension funds, or is it retail investors or corporate money? And those two are kind of related, along with cash on the sidelines. Is that a myth? Is there really such a thing as cash on the sidelines? We're going to talk about that. And then we're going to talk about Stanley Druckenmiller's quote for the ages. Home foreclosures jump 22% and repo rates hit a three-year high. And we've got lots of data and articles on that. You can go to the show notes for that. I don't want to dive too deep in that. And then we're going to talk about the Fed's Hobson's Choice that we've been talking about ongoing. And, of course, we got the mailbag with hopefully some stock and bond sage advice, uh, which sectors to avoid and some stocks that may be setting up. But first, I am donning my Fiesta. Guayavera yes. for the opening day for this Fiesta week. It starts today in San Antonio. <laughs> Yesterday. And actually, I said Niosa, Night in Old San Antonio, started tonight. It doesn't. It starts Monday night and goes through the next Friday. For uh, folks who didn't listen last week, what is Fiesta Week celebrating? Well, I, oh, it's San Antonio has a big party. It's like sort of like Mardi Gras. It's a good time. But you got King Antonio, you got the Order of the Alamo, the coronation. The, I mean, they just it basically it's a week uh, an excuse to to party for a whole week. Yeah. Uh, 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 you know, after spring break, but before summer, I guess. That river walk's and, a good time. And, yeah, and they have all kinds of. Uh, they actually have uh, really really fun. Uh, shows to watch, and I'll tell you my favorite. It's actually called the Corny Nation, Cor- not the not the Coronation. So you got the Queen's Ball <laughs> with the Queen of San Antonio and all the princes and duchess, and that's like the upper echelon, the hoodly doodlies in San Antonio. The, yeah. you know, the people with all the money in Terrell Hills, Emma Heights. Anyway, but Corny Nation is actually a spoof on that. And it's a drag queen show. It's a drag show that they do at night. They used to do it downtown at the Bottom Exchange. I think that's closed down now. But they do this big, and I mean, it's a huge. Giant headdresses. Oh, yeah. These right. dresses are like tens of thousands. I mean, it's amazing how much wow. money. Oh, yeah. It's, 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 the opulence is, is uh, <laughs> pretty it. amazing. But the part, but the, but, it, but it's uh, fun to party. That's right. Anyway. So let's get right back into it, folks, because so, Don, would you please bring up those charts? I want to show you this, folks. These are the one month 
Not one year, not not six months, not three months, but one month treasury. So that was at the beginning of the month. Notice the left-hand side, the up and down, the vertical axis on the left side. Don't worry about all the stuff on the right. Put your pointer over there, uh, Don, and show that right there on the left corner where the line first starts, on your left as you're looking at it, that's around 4.4, 4, 4.5. Huh? 4.7? 4.7. Okay, so it was so just a month ago, one month T-bills, you could get 4.7. That's annualized, obviously, so you have to roll it over each month to get the same rate to be able to actually get the whole annualized rate. But that's 4.7 annualized for one month. Now, just go to about a week ago, Don. And by the way, it stayed there all the way till about a week ago. It dropped maybe 10, you know, 0.1, 0.2%. But if you look at the next one, now, what is that, Don? 4.3. 4.3. So that's about 0.4% drop, and that's just in a few days because even though that's a little bit later in the month, this actually happened. This was an overnight drop. Okay, go to the next one, Don. And what is that one? 3.9. 3.9, and that was just a couple of days ago. And from one night to the next, from 3.9 to the very next day, show them that one. And that's going to be somewhere around 3.4, 3.2. What is it? 3.4. 3.4. So, folks, just overnight, the one-month T-bill went down by half a percent. That's a massive move for usually short-term rates are much, much less volatile and much less sensitive than longer-term rates. And long-term rates really didn't move very much. So what does that mean? And where what is the cash on hand on the sidelines? I want to talk about that just real quick. And I, I'm just going to do a quick drive-by. Um, there's two, two different articles. One call, is, is called The Cash Hoard of 2023. Uh, and the future of equities, and the other one is called recession odds jump as the Fred, Fed crushes consumers. But the main thing is they're talking about this cash hoard, this cash one, and they're saying that, you know, with these because these are all T bills, and you got oh that's the Schwab Treasury money market, and it's showing those yields, and it's showing those how they dropped, and now for a for a a one month Treasury, you can only get what is that top right uh, highlighted. And that's actually before that final drop. So if I ran that again, I didn't run that again as of uh, uh, yesterday with the other one. That now would be about 3.4, 3.3. So in any event, the question is, why is did one-month T-bills drop so much? And by the way, I, my hat's off to Michael. Michael Ramos actually caught this the day that it happened about a week ago. And we were scratching our head trying to figure out why would that happen? Because nothing else on the yield curve moved. When you look at those charts that Don put up, the shape of the yield curve didn't really change along the other things. Three month, six month, one year, two year, 30 year. It was only that one month thing. Well, we looked at all that. In any event, this, this big boy's holding cash. It's talking about how it's, it's, it's not the retail investors because retail and a lot of these treasury money market mutual funds, they have minimums of a million dollars. Now, there's some exceptions, but the bottom line is you need to have a lot of money. And they also came up with this uh, thing about why they didn't think it's the institutional money. Okay. 
They're saying it's the corporate money. There's their their claim is that it's the corporate money that they don't have good uses for their earnings, good growth prospects, and they're gearing up for a recession. So they're pulling in their talons and they're buying short-term cash. That's one of them. By the way, the other thing this article says is they talk about how there's no such thing as a money on the sidelines. That 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 there's that there's no money on the sidelines because there's always a willing buyer and a willing seller on every side of the transaction. Folks, that's assuming if it's an orderly, yes, there's a willing buyer and a willing seller, but when you get in the disorderly market, the, the market makers that are supposed to find, to be, be there and, and be the other side of the trade if there is no buyers, in other words, everybody's selling, that's called an order imbalance. Prices go, you have a big gap in prices. The market makers, you can't get them on the phone when they really, when they're worried about losing their own money. So, yes, it's true there's always a buyer and a seller, but at what price? So that's that's the thing. In any event, you can go read this article. It's talking about the risk, and it's talking about the Fed reversing, meaning tightening, and what happens there. And it's actually a very good article. Now, but when we looked into the reasons, it could be corporate money. It, look, if you're paying a 4.5%, 5% yield, then that crowds out the private sector. People, why do you take a chance on a dividend stock or even a, a, a investment grade bond when you can just buy T-bills? So you've had a lot of people going in there naturally for quote, safe money, but there's also some problems in the banking system and now corporations are putting in cash. But I think there might be another reason. And Michael came up with this. Uh, Michael was talking about the repo rates. So the repo rates are the overnight lending rates that the Fed can do uh, and the, the banks can borrow and, and borrow and, and, and lend each other overnight, right? And they borrow back and forth and they make these interest rates. Well, but they've got limits. You borrow from the Fed, you've got a limit that you can hit. The banks have already hit their limits. They've already borrowed the maximum amount from the repo facility, They're ta even more than 2008. And so now they've got this excess cash and if you're, and even corporations, if you're worried about the FDIC limits or your, you know, promises, you park it in treasuries, they're not going bankrupt because they own the printing press. So you're going to get them. So anyway, a lot of the Uber short term that really is just cash, cash available on hand that you need for day-to-day -day operations, people are parking that in these short-term treasuries. But also it could be the fact that the banking system is really stressed out a lot more then they're letting us know. In any event, that's something to keep an eye on because that really is, that, that could be something very, and, and, by, and by the way, it may not be uh, that, it may not turn out to be that big of a deal. I personally think it is, but who knows? Price is truth and we'll see. All right, I've been getting a lot of questions lately on whether to do a Roth conversion. And there's a lot of re good reasons to do it, but here are just a couple of reasons that you may not want to do it. And, and basically, the general rule is the older you are and the higher your tax bracket, the less a Roth is, is worth it because you don't have time is not on your side to make up that differential, that tax rate differential you paid, and um, you don't get as big as a tax benefit. Anyway, it says the upfront tax burden can be too much to bear. Well, if you convert a Roth, a IRA to a regular, to a Roth, now you pay that tax upfront. So you're paying the tax now instead of later. Conversions can interfere with charitable giving strategies. It increases your 
income and therefore reduces uh, and, and, and it, it might disallow some charitable giving. Um, some may pr uh, prefer waiting on, on more clarity on the, t on the, on the tax laws. Uh, very low incomes in the next generation can scramble the math. Now, this is very important, folks. If you convert and you're at a higher tax bracket and you're not going to need all the money your kids are going to inherit it, well, if you convert the Roth, you paid at your tax bracket rather than theirs. If there's going to be a lot left in your IRA, you might want to think about letting them inherit it. And when they unwind it, they pay at their tax bracket. All right. Uh, large anticipated medical bills also alter the calculation for the Roth conversion. Um, uh, conversions are permanent. Uh, high earning self-income people face uh, unique conversion uh, considerations. That's a little, that's a tougher co a conversation. Call me if you got questions on that. And some distrust Roth IRA accounts will always be tax-free. I'm in that camp. They promised Social Security would never be taxed, and they did. Folks, here's the way the tax system works. It's like a Jolly Rancher hard piece of candy. You put the candy out on the, on the cement floor in your garage, and you come out the next morning, there's ants all over it. So you, so you wipe off the ants, and then you move the, the Jolly Rancher a couple feet over, you come out the next morning, and there's ants all over it again. See, you make the tax laws, and they figure out how you think, and they go, they go where the money, they tax where the money's at. So pretty soon, when everybody has Ross, we'll see what happens. Anyway. We'll just have to see, but that's. And an did you use artificial intelligence to come up with that metaphor for the Jolly Rancher? Did I? <laughs> no, I just like Jolly Ranchers. Okay. <laughs> I, I actually had that. And, and you dropped them. And, yeah, and yeah. You dropped I them actually, a lot. Apparently. I actually so. had Jolly Ranchers on my mind. So yesterday, Sydney got some. So the new rave is like getting these candies that are. Like what's that uh, dry? The freeze dried, like flash free, freeze dried yeah. at real low temperatures, and so you get these big puff balls of Jolly Ranchers. They're different, and they're they're skit. She's done Skittles. She's done Jolly Ranchers. Anyway, they're really good. So I, I tried them yesterday. So I had the Jolly Rancher uh, thing on my mind. Oh, but and, but I do like the analogy. That's a very good analogy, don't you think, Don? It's. As long as we don't have any more AI poems, that's all I'm. Oh, I love that poem. All right. I, hey, speaking of poems, I have Stan Druckenmiller's poem. Oh, this is just a quote. It's not. I thought it was a poem. All right. This is Stan Druckenmiller. The first thing I learned when I got in this business was bulls make money, bears make money, and pigs get slaughtered. I'm here to tell you I was a pig. I strongly believe the only way to make superior long-term returns is by being a pig. I think diversification, all that stuff they're teaching in business school is probably the most misguided concept everywhere. If you look at the great investors, Warren Buffett, Carl Icahn, Ken Lagone, they all had very, very concentrated bets. They bet and they bet the ranch on it. Now, I'm not sure I agree with that because they also were able to control the companies that they owned because they were the majority shareholder. When you just own your little five shares of Apple, uh, you don't have any say. It's slightly <laughs> different. Um, the mistake I'd say is 90, 98% of money managers individuals uh, individuals uh, make is they feel they got to be playing in a bunch of stuff. And if you really see it, put all your eggs in one basket and then watch your basket very carefully. He said that's the mistake people make. Folks, you want enough diversification so that one Enron, where they're cooking the books in line and you don't know about it, doesn't crush your portfolio, but you want to have, but you don't want to have too much diversification where then you're just writing the end, just 
tracking whatever the index does. Okay, because too much diversification and you are just tracking the index. So it's easier just to buy a SPY or QQQ than 10 growth stocks or, I mean, than 25 growth stocks or 25 S&P. If you've got 25 S&P stocks in different sectors, you're tracking the S&P, whether you think so or you got similar position sizes. But anyway, I digress. Um, I do think you need enough, maybe 8 to 10 to 12 stock positions. And with a few ETFs, you just don't need the big pie chart. Okay, now I want to go to uh, the foreclosures article. There's a data set that puts out all the real estate data for all the um, oh media outlets and, 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 and a lot of institutions. They do data for, I put that article up there. It's a very data-driven quant article for you quant people. And then for your layman that just kind of want to hear the big picture headline then it's Business Insider uses that same one. I, I put both articles. You can read each one. The bottom line is home foreclosures are getting worse. They're rising. And the repos hit a three-year high. They've been going up every for 23 months, consecutive months, ever since they lifted the moratorium of evicting people. Now that you can evict people if they don't pay, the, the things have been going up. Okay, so let's get to the mailbag because this actually ties in with, with uh well, I'm going to do this in reverse order because this one is first. Okay. So I'm a doctor still working. Uh, I'm working 75% time, meaning three quarters time. He's got a shared shift. I, I'm working until 70, but cutting down on hours. Just turned 67. At 70, I will claim my benefit be 47.29. My wife no longer working. She's 64 in June. Uh, eligible uh, from her work history, 11.05 per month. At her 66 and 10 month birthday, her benefit be 1362. At age 70, her benefit be 1708. We do not need the money. We do not want, but we do not want to lose free money. Folks, that's the most important sentence in his whole thing. We do not need the money, but we want to lose free money. Question When I turn 70, will my benefit and I get my max benefit, will my wife get 50% of the spousal benefit? of that, you know, bringing hers up to that, or uh, correct, uh, if she takes uh, her own Social Security starting in June, uh, it will be taxable at our joint income. Yes, that's correct. Um, if she starts taking her own Social Security, does this reduce her spousal benefit when I turn 70? I appreciate all your advice, Social Security. Then he sent an addendum, my current benefit, he's just adjusting these numbers, and then he brought up again um, some more, more data. It gets pretty detailed. So I was just saying, I was typing the response below when I got your first email. Um, for a detailed evaluation, very detailed, I would contact my Social Security analyst. Her name is Diane Wilson uh, for your specific itemized questions. But based on the information you gave me, she's probably better off taking the free money because as you put it, you don't need the money. So he can take the money and invest it himself. So even if his wife was going to get an 8% bump, if he reinvests that money and makes 8%, he's, he's getting pretty close to even. So it's not, a, a, it's not just a complete loss. Um, um, now, when you, but at no, at no time will she want to actually take the weight until her full benefit benefits because she once she hits her full social security at 66 and seven months or whatever that is she doesn't get any extra 
added benefit from her husband's record, her spousal benefit. It doesn't pull her up to being half of his. Her increase in spousal benefit is only predicated on his his full retirement benefit, not him waiting to 70. In fact, from the time he reaches full benefit to the time he goes to 70, if she waits on hers, they reduce her amount. So you give it all back. So because of this specific situation, she actually, he would actually not want to wait. They would not want to wait any one day after her full retirement at 66 and seven months. And she may even want to consider just taking it early to start reinvesting the money. So she reduces her political risk. So here's my, 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 uh, uh, final paragraph. The real question is how valuable is your wife's social security benefits immediately versus waiting and collecting the difference in your specific situation? The fact you will max out hundred percent, I would probably take hers earlier. This way you're spreading out the political risk with social security payments and receiving some cash flow early folks. Remember there at some point, they're going to have to start talking about social security and doing something some kind, but they're not going to go with people that have already turned it on or people that are just about to retire in the next five years because they've already planned for it. But when you're 45 or 40, it's going to be the people that still have another decade or two or three decades to pay in. Those are the people they're going to, they're going to attack or are going to reevaluate. All right. So now these two, I'm going to read uh, two more in the mailbag. Okay. Uh, Hi, uh, Team Revere. Love your podcast. Just have a question and maybe you could help me. Do you know of any university-like courses on CanSlim where students can ask a question and such? Would love to become a better investor, but I'm a classroom student learner versus uh, a book. Thank you, guys. I said TraderLine is, and I ran this by uh, Don and all the guys, uh, TraderLine is probably your best bet. They are on Twitter and as well as online, but they have a subscription service with lots of educational content. TickerMonkey is also a great Twitter follow, and JT really knows his stuff, but I don't believe they have a subscription service where they teach classrooms, and it essentially is for active seasoned traders. Minervidi is also good for seasoned traders, but as far as teaching classes go, I would probably... Uh, stick with trader line. Hope this helps. Please tell your friends about us, Dan. All right. Here's the good one that's going to tie into going into um, Team Revere and our thoughts on the stocks and bond market. Good afternoon, guys. I have a potential show uh, question uh, for the show and the team uh, that I'm curious about. With all the heightened volatility in growth stocks, would it make sense to invest longer term into companies that provide steady dividends? Companies that have been slowing, uh, slowly increasing in value, including Hershey, General Mills, Pepsi, Costco, and Apple. Yet I don't see much discussion or investment into the blue chips. There are also a few ETFs, including Pacer, U.S. Cash Cows, Cow Z is the ticker, and J.P. Morgan Equity Premium, J.E.P.I., that have relatively reliable, that have been relatively reliable. Curious to know how these fit into the portfolio criteria and selection podcast. Watching these podcasts every day. Love it. Thanks, T. And I said, T, we will address this on the podcast. So with that, Don, take it away. Yeah, we've discussed this a lot over the years uh, in-house. And my comment on the, the dividend investing approach gets back to 
what are what are we good at? We we can't be all things to all people, but our forte is growth stock investing in an uptrending market. Now, when the market is trending, it's a very attractive idea to to get into uh, that are bunker type stocks where staples, healthcare, uh, utilities, where uh, you think that you're going to lose less, but is losing less, first of all, a guarantee? And second, is that the right approach? Because in a true bear market, all uh, all sectors will go down. The Dow lost as much, has lost as much over the market as uh, the S&P has, particularly in 2007, 2008. Uh, so our answer to this is um, twofold. One, one of the reasons to be attracted to dividend listing over the last decade was we couldn't get a yield anywhere else. Thought was, we'll take the risk of the stock market to get a decent yield. But right now, you can get the yields in treasury bills that you want without taking any risk. So that's clearly our preferred um, approach. If we're looking for income right now, we've got 30% of our uh, portfolio and uh, short-term treasury bills collecting that four to five percent uh, annualized dividend. The the next thing is there's really no guarantee that if you're going to pick a bunch of blue chip stocks that you're going to pick a the right ones. There are the the landscape over the years is littered with stocks that seem to be a sure thing and and went down the tubes. GE, uh, a prime example, and uh, their dividend after the stock dropped massively. Let's point to two currently uh, considered "quote unquote" safe stocks. Uh, this is United Healthcare. I'm going to bring up a weekly chart. This is the leading stock uh, in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. If you owned it throughout 2021-22, you collected uh, a point yield. You also capitalized on uh, uh, appreciation as it clearly was trending up. The issue is they don't all trend up. You can see since November of last year, United Healthcare has been a loser on a relative and a price basis. So then you start thinking to yourself, well, I'm, I'm getting this dividend. How much am I actually, am I okay with uh, the capital losses? And our take on the market is that, no, we're really not okay with capital losses. Uh, we don't want to, we don't hold things long-term all the time and hope that, okay, we're a couple percent in dividend and we, therefore we have to be okay with a 20% loss. A 20% loss is uh, uh, 10 years worth of dividends in that scenario. Here's another one, Procter & Gamble, 2.3%. Just announced great earnings today. Uh, very nice formation. Uh, but look at the relative strength line from 2020 uh, to 2021, again, not only were you losing money, you were losing money on a relative basis against the S&P 500, uh, and the stock dropped precipitously. In fact, just recently, the, the depth of this cup is 26%. So we're not willing to sit with something and give up 26%. Again, that's with a 2.3% dividend, that's 10 years worth of dividend. So we don't focus uh, on the, that something has a yield and is quote unquote safe. These things go down all the time, very often worse than the market. Here is the uh, 
in um, 24 weeks. This built a consolidation back during COVID and dropped 26% then. So our uh, edge or our approach is to wait until uh, growth stocks are in a favorable market and um, invest in them as long as the price continues to go up. Uh, there are times such as the current year where growth stocks and really last year, uh, last year was a bear market across the board, but recently the indices have recovered somewhat and are acting better than the average growth stock is. We're seeing a lot in uh, the 21 over 21 where the stocks are holding up, but they're really not making much on a relative basis. So in this case, you're better off investing in the index where anytime the rotation takes place, whether growth or from tech, out of tech into defensive sectors or vice versa, all that rotation occurs within the S&P 500. So we'll collect the 1.5% dividend from the S&P 500, uh, keep some of the portfolio in short-term T-bills that's given us the dividend. And as long as we're above the 200-day moving average, we're gonna prefer to stay in the S&P 500. And then if it breaks as it did in 2022, we're gonna get out of the way to avoid the bear markets. And that brings up the, the chart that I show all the time uh, about all bear markets and how they occur under the 200-day moving average. So I know a lot of successful dividend investors, they stick with it. They don't worry about uh, the capital drawdown, but that's just not what we do at Revere. Uh, and if you're going to decide that you're going to stick with dividend stocks, you better have a hedging uh, approach if the indexes break below the 200-day moving average so that you can offset the capital losses that you're going to experience from dividend stocks during a bear market. Or, or you need to be willing, or you need to be willing to go with a 35% drawdown, and see people say they're willing, and they fill out their risk tolerance profile and say that they're moderately aggressive or aggressive, but all of a sudden they actually lose three. I mean, think about it: on a million dollars, 35% is 350 grand, and when it in bear markets, that happens in three weeks or a month. We're not talking about two years. So the market, when it sells off hard, it, 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 it uh, selling accelerates. I do want to make one more comment that you made because I, I don't want people to think that all we do is growth stocks because that's not quite the case. In a primary uptrend, in a, in a good, strong bull market, growth stocks are going to be the leaders. They're going to lead. They're going to be outperforming the S&P. They're going to be outperforming, I mean, almost all, not every time, but almost always in a good, solid bull market with lots of market breadth, meaning lots of stocks, lots of sectors going up in a true expansion, growth stocks are going to be the area to be in. However, when it's negative or when it's tough, like right now, a lot of the charts are broken. They don't look good. So you avoid them. So right now we've got a healthy cash position and we got 30% in T-bills paying four and a half percent. And we can even do bond ETFs and we even do some dividend, sometimes some in, if some stocks are setting up like a Lockheed Martin or another doesn't have to be technically a growth stock. If the stocks look good, we can go anywhere, any sector. It's just in a bull market we're definitely going to be leaning toward growth stocks because that's the time to be. When it's an ugly market, it depends on what sector is is holding up the best on a relative basis. So anyway, go ahead. Yeah, here's Don. another. I just want to clarify an, here, that. Here's another example with utilities. Last fall, uh, utility XLU pays a three percent dividend, but the utility index dropped 
dropped 23% uh, in a matter of four weeks. So you start to ask yourself, when is this going to stop going down? Um, yeah, there'll be rebounds, but if you decide that you've had enough down here and you sell out um, and then it rebounds, it, the, the dividend just uh, can skew your perception on whether or not you should be holding uh, stocks that are in a, a massive downtrend. And, and again, just, just look at it. I always go back to the GE example. I know it's, it's not always the case that a lot of them, you know, hold up just fine, but this is a monthly chart of general electric that was $340 back in 2000 and bottomed, uh, at $40 in 2020. This is split adjusting. Uh, uh that's split adjusted because it got down below 10. Yeah. I'm sorry, it's, yeah, it's inverse split adjusted, actually. They did a reverse split. Uh, and here is, um, here's GE during the, the financial crisis. It dropped so, so hang on, Don, Don, let's explain that. The, they do a reverse split to make them not look like a penny stock. It got to single right. digit, and nobody takes GE seriously at $7 or $8. So they did a reverse split so they'd make their stock go up to $50 or $100. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, this drop during the financial crisis from 250 to uh, 35, and um, the reverse split happened. Uh, it's not showing on this chart, but I know it happened. But they recently, it, it, GE's been doing very well, uh, and it has been on our 21 over 21. Uh, but it's a comeback kid now. It's not, um, you know, something that if you held it over the years, you got hit very hard so we don't just we're, we're just not uh the longer term approach is what we take with the index etfs that we hold as long as the market stays above the 200 day moving average uh and if it gets below there then we get really defensive because we know that's when the damage can be done uh the serious damage can be done to portfolios the typical uh drop in the s p 500 from peak until you break the 200 day is 10 to 12 percent uh, that's very manageable to come back from. It's when um, it's when you break down. I'll bring up the chart that I show all the time in case there's some uh, new listeners here. But um, this is the bear market chart. It's 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 if you're close to retirement and you get hit in these uh, severe bear losses, the average going back to 70 is 44 and a half percent. Last year, peak to trough. It, we dropped 27% COVID. We dropped 35%. And our rules get us we, out the of markets, these. The markets did. We didn't. The markets did. The market, not us. Right. Our rules at Revere get us out, and they're very closely tied to the action around the 200-day moving average. And that's why we talk uh, every night about, um, you know, we, we look at three time frames for investing. How are we doing short-term? How are we doing long-term? How, do, how are we doing medium-term? And how are we doing long-term? Because all lo long-term breakdowns will first break down at the intermediate-term level. And before that, they'll break down at the short-term level. Uh, so that's why we track the five major indices and subsectors constantly across these uh, three time frames. And then we look at how leading stocks are acting. Uh, and focus on what's working when growth stocks are in favor. All right. So what what's next on the agenda? Is it Mike? Ted's Ted's not here today. Yep. He's finishing up finals. Yep. Let's go to uh, Mike. What do you got for us today, Mike? Okay. Um, <clears throat> it's actually perfect. Um, my my segment today was was all about these um, these different categories of stocks. Um, 
Uh, so, so it tails perfectly into the, um, the mailbag question. And then um, for GE, it looks like the split was um, October 29th of last year. Um, but, um, but yeah, so in terms of the question of, uh, of growth stocks versus dividends, it's what you've got to think about is um, there, there's really six broad categories of stocks, which are um, you've got slow growers, um, stalwarts, fast growers, cyclicals, asset plays and turnarounds. And when you're looking at a stock and looking at a chart, what you need to consider is what category does that company fit into? And um, a slow grower, for example, is a, it's a large and aging company that's expected to grow slightly faster than, um, than GNP. And uh, basically when an industry slows down, most of the companies in that industry are gonna lose momentum as well. So in terms of a slow grower in your portfolio, maybe it pays a great dividend, but at the end of the day, there's no real need. There, there, there's no point of really having that in a portfolio because it's gonna underperform the market and um, the dividend usually isn't enough to compensate for that. And then a big risk too, is that as the stock and the industry underperform and they're earning less, well, that dividend is likely to get cut as well. So that, that'll also um, put pressure on the, on the company and the industry group. And then another group is, is the stalwarts. And those are companies like Coca-Cola, BMY, PG, which we mentioned, and um, HSY, Hershey's. Um, and these are multi-billion dollar mammoth companies, um, the, the titans that, that are faster than the slow growers. So they're still growing, but you can really, like at that point, they're mature companies that are growing at a, at a slower rate. So they, maybe they grow around 10 to 12% um, annually. Um, that, that's sort of their expected growth in earnings. And that kind of stock, they may be setting up and the breakout look amazing. Like for example, HSY, um, MDLZ, these companies, um, if, you're, if you're only looking for breakouts, you need to be aware that a, a, a stalwart QSR is another one. Those are probably, they're probably not going to move that quickly, even if the, the charts are setting up and they look great. So you need to take that into consideration and, and recognize that if you are in a stalwart, that move, that breakout move, if you get um, like a 20% move or in a few years, you get a 50% move, that's, that's an exceptional move. And at that point, you should maybe consider um, taking a profit. If you, if you get a 30% move out of a, in a year in, in one of those huge companies, that's usually the, the point where you want to take profits. And then the fast growers, which are the exciting ones. And that's where that, that's sort of the land of the, uh, of like the 10 baggers, 40 baggers, these companies that, that can just 10 X 40 X in, in a short period of time. Those, those are the companies that if you look at the sales and, and earnings growth and the estimates, those are the ones that are growing at like, between 20, 25 at a minimum um, per year. And those are the opportunities we look for at Revere because we, as Don said, we focus on growth stocks. And in a bull market, in an uptrending market, these companies that, that can really completely change their industry. And oftentimes these companies are in slow growing industries or declining industries usually not declining industries, but, but oftentimes slow growing industries where they're just growing so much faster than the rest of the industry and they're a disruptor and they've done something different to, to really start gaining market share. And a company like that, if they are setting up, 
that breakout and that move that you get is going to be far superior to to any of the other categories. Um, and then in this podcast, I mean, cyclicals and turnarounds. Um, GE was an example of a turnaround. That's a company that that was in decline that has figured something out to um, reaccelerate their revenues. Um, those are kind of hard to play because turnarounds are can't really time a turnaround. You don't know if it's going to work. And um, you kind of want to wait for that to improve. And then um, cyclicals are, as, as the name suggests, um, they move in cycles. So it's totally dependent on the economic cycles. Those are companies like auto manufacturers, um, home builders, things that are pretty interest rate sensitive, um, miners. Um, th those are all your cyclicals. So um, that's something to be aware of because oftentimes, I mean, I find myself doing it, doing it all the time. I look at a chart. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. This is setting up for a breakout, but then you go into the fundamentals and you look at the sales and the earnings growth and it's just not there. Um, and it's already a mature company. So it, it's something um, at that point, you're probably not going to get the move you're looking for in a, in a company like that. So you should definitely be aware of that. All right, Mike, appreciate that. I like the six category <laughs> breakdown and you definitely want to know. Uh, where your stock fits and how that fits with your overall investing thesis. Let's segue over to Connor. Connor, what do you got for this for us this week? Yes, uh, for this week, I just wanted to talk about two two sectors that I think have some downside, um, and another sector that's acting strong. But just before I get in my section, I just wanted to mention on the topic of dividend stocks. Um, I agreed with what all you guys said, but AT&T is a good example. This is a dividend name that a lot of people like, and it, it reported earnings yesterday and it was down um, 11%. So that's just a good example of that, yeah, a stock can yield a good dividend, but it doesn't mean, um, that just doesn't mean it's a good investment. Um, so I thought that was, I thought I'd mention that. Um, yeah, so the that, first, and, that, uh, and for this current landscape that we're in, that's probably the best example. This is one that very clearly hasn't recovered. Um, right. That that's a, that's one ugly chart there. Yeah, you got your six percent yield, uh, but you've dropped over fifty percent. So, how many years of dividends is that? All right, go ahead. Yeah. So, if you can pull up a chart of FXI. One sector that looks very weak lately is just the China sector. So FXI is the China 50 index. And when you look at this, it's breaking below the 200-day moving average. And a lot of the big China names that we know are looking very weak. Um, when you look at the relative strength line there, it's just in a clear downtrend. Um, and all many different other Chinese names are breaking below their 200-day moving average as well. Um, KWeb's another one. This is the China Internet Index. This one's breaking the 200-day moving average as well. And the relative strength line has just been in a clear decline. So lots of this price action is signaling risk off for this sector. If you pull up a chart of, you know, Baidu, uh, Baba, JD, all these stocks, when you, when you compare it to the performance of the NASDAQ and the S&P this year, there's a huge divergence and, you know, some of these Chinese names can be risk on type names that you think would participate if the overall market is rallying, but that's not been the case. 
And some news events that may affect these names coming up also is that uh, Biden's aiming to sign an executive order that will limit investments in key parts of the China, of the China economy, and this starts May 19th. So this could be another potential downside catalyst for a lot of these names. And you know, a way to play this is through they have a bear ETF, Chinese bear ETF. It's YANG. And um, some of these ETFs have been good for identifying trends. Um, I know you primarily use the the other ETF for price action, but when some of these inverse or leverage ETFs start to perk up, it could signal a trend. And when you look at all the charts of all these individual Chinese stocks and the uh, um, index uh, charts, they all look very weak and something that if you're bearish on China, you could capitalize on. Um, so yeah, I, I found that interesting. Uh, the next one I wanted to bring up was Bitcoin. Bitcoin's the big risk on risk off indicator that a lot of people use. If Bitcoin's acting well, it can usually signal risk on for the markets. Um, people are, are, have the, are willing to speculate. Um, and Bitcoin's had been off to a good start this year. It broke above that 30,000 level, but it's now stalling. And when you look at BITO, on that breakout above 30,000, the relative strength line did not make new highs. And now Bitcoin's trading below that uh, 30,000 spot, showing it could be a false, uh, false um, break. So I'm watching that. Because I think that if Bitcoin can't reclaim that 30,000 spot, it could signal risk off and that might not be good for the market. Um, and if you just look at a bunch of like individual crypto stock names, you have Coinbase. Um, this is breaking the 200-day moving average. MicroStrategies, MSTR, this is breaking the 21-day moving average. So a lot of underlying weakness going on, but if BITO can reclaim the 21 again, then it could just be a pullback. But that is something I'm watching and, and it could signal some insight onto the overall market. And then the last, uh, I just wanted to talk about home builders, ITB. These, if, if you were paying attention and focusing on the, the mainstream media, I don't think you would have ever bought any home builders, just all the recession talks and um, super bearish uh, thoughts about this sector. But DHI reported earnings this week. They had a positive reaction and all the home builder, individual home builder names are breaking out into new highs. So something I'm watching to see is if these breakouts can hold and if this trend can continue because so many stocks in this space set, are setting up very nicely and there's been positive earnings reactions. And then I'll close it with this because we were talking about uh, diversification earlier. Uh, this is a quote from Bill O'Neill, and he said, uh, over diversification is a hedge for ignorance. So I thought I'd mention that. He did say that. And uh, I want to point out a hedge out for a ignorance. To, I love that. Yeah. I want to point out a, a way to play short Bitcoin is the ETF BITI. This is an inverse on uh, the Bitcoin futures. Uh, so we showed BITI, which is the uh, long. Bitcoin futures in an ETF, uh, that's BITO. BITI is a way to play it on the short side. These basically are just mirror images of each other. If you look at a 60 minute chart, 
you can see the failed breakdown. Uh, this is the equivalent of Bitcoin at 30,000, just like BITO shows the failed breakout of uh, this level here. We've been, we show this on the nightly bit video. Uh, every night we go through the Bitcoin chart. Uh, a lot of people curious about it, but for now, tried to break out, lasted a week and a half and failed. Thanks, Connor. Dan, we'll uh, send it back to you. All right. Well, listen, I appreciate it. And by the way, that's why price is truth. And you got to focus on price rather than the headlines, because Connor's absolutely right. If you saw the headline numbers, you think housing is just going absolutely in the toilet. And I've talked about the headwinds they have. But these are the so the home builders, especially the higher end home builders, are doing just fine. It's these the lower credit quality um uh, mortgage buyers that are in trouble. That's where the ho the the um, uh, foreclosure rates. That's why those jumped. It's not the people with good credit quality. So those are two slightly different segments of the market. Doesn't mean it can't get contagion. Just means right now they're acting good. Folks, listen. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend, tell a neighbor. Just send them to revereasset.com. They can go up in the right hand corner and click the subscribe button. They'll get this. Um, um, podcast in their inbox when it goes out on our email blast every Saturday morning. If they go to YouTube and just search for Revere Asset, just Revere Asset, and they hit subscribe, they'll get it out as soon as Zach posts this, normally around noon central time. Um, and also you'll get all of our daily market insight videos. Revere does a daily uh, short 10-minute market video every evening the market is open it talks like what Don said the short-term mid-term and long-term strength of the markets as well as sectors and individual stock ideas we even tell you what we're actually doing on some of the positions in our own portfolio you can email any of us if you want dan at revereasset.com don at revereasset.com ted um um <laughs> You got it. You got it. You're right there. There you go. Ted, Connor, or Michael yeah. at revereasset.com. <laughs> and you can always call us old school at 855-REAL-WEALTH. Folks, have a safe and happy weekend. And if you're in San Antonio, go check out Fiesta. We'll talk to you next week on your money. Because it's not how much you make in the markets. It's how much you can keep.
Your Money Radio podcast covers general topics and investment ideas for research. It is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not meant to be investment advice. If you want or need investment advice, contact your own advisors or reach out to Revere Asset Management for individual investment advice. For more information, just go to revereasset.com.